It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. guys. Uh, it's for those of you that are not uh, present that are going to be either streaming this or via uh, podcast later, uh, this is a significant morning for us in this room. We've spent the week together in a week-long training, and it's just been very, very precious for me personally, and I know, uh, you know many of you have uh, really had a, a special time as well, and so it's always tough uh, to come to an end of something like that, so this is our final Daily Thunder uh, in this stretch. Uh, by the way, you're more than welcome to continue on. We are extending this out. We have a five-week training, so you guys can uh, upgrade uh, to the five-week. We'd love to have you around. Wouldn't that be fun if all of us stayed? You know, that would be great. You just cancel your plane tickets. Uh, but unique finish to it. I was just you know praying about what we should cover. I'm going to dedicate this to Paul uh, Lloyd. He asked a question last night. We were on our back patio and uh, it was just about the spiritual battle that we are in. And uh, so I was just pondering this, and I thought this could be a very interesting foundation for you guys, uh, both those that are staying on and those that are uh, headed home, just as far as a, a key truth to know how to um, uh, engage with and understand in this battle. The fact that we're in a battle, I think, is is known but not fully understood and the fact that we're in a battle may be known and understood even but then what to do in that battle to win in the battle is is a significant thing too so what i wanted to do is give just a foundational understanding uh what i what i did is i borrowed uh some notes from an alumni conference that we did when uh, nathan would you remember when that was was this the spring one? this is the last one we did uh, we usually, in our alumni conferences, cover some of the themes that we do not get close to uh, here in our semester, and we've done some doozies. We had a spiritual gifts one, like how do we handle spiritual gifts in the Church of Jesus Christ, and that was so fascinating, profound, powerful, beautiful, knitting. Could you imagine talking about that topic and bringing so many varying denominational perspectives together, okay? How do you do that? And that's, that's what we saw, and it was very powerful. And how, Nathan, how do they access these if they're alumni? I know that some people listening are like, hey, I'm not alumni. What do you, don't just. Uh, so alumni okay, so if it's in the alumni network, they can actually get all our previous conferences. So for all those that are hearing this via podcast that have never been an alumni, you have to go through Ellerslie <laughs> and then become an alumni. Then you can access them. So there you go. There's bait. Uh, <clears throat> so. But so the keynote portion of this, correct me if I'm wrong, Nathan, is going to be from that. So it'll look a little different than our normal keynote. Uh, but we put a title on just to make you feel at home with Daily Thunder. The Lord of the Vacuum. Uh, understand the origins of the ancient war. This war has been going on for at least somewhere around 6,000 years. Could be longer. These are things that we don't know. There's details about this war that we don't know. God doesn't tell us everything. He tells us what we need to know. And that's one thing we can rest in. So, behold, it was Mohodov. Some good Hebrew there for you. Which means exceedingly excellent, surpassingly pleasant. And so it was good. It was Mohodov. It was very good. And so 
what we know is that God did something in the very beginning, which we typically look at as creation, and he, it is mohod tov. He is creating something that is exceedingly excellent, surprisingly pleasant. But something went wrong, introducing the very first bad guy, the Lord of the vacuum. And so I'm, I'm introducing you to the one we know as Satan, the devil, uh, but, but giving you sort of a context of how this comes in and how this plays into this grand drama. So where does one go when he rejects light? Where does one go when he exits life? Where does, what does one become when he spurns good, and, what, and how does one function when he rejects truth? Okay, now, you could look at this in two ways. I, I'm talking about the devil here, but anyone that follows the same pattern, there's a similar pathway that is opened up. And very simply put, he enters the vacuum. That's what I'm calling it. And there's a reason why I call it that. What is a vacuum? Well, by definition, a vacuum is a space entirely devoid of matter, devoid of light, devoid of life, devoid of good, devoid of truth. It's interesting because if you study either darkness or you study death, the interesting comparison between the two of them is they actually have no substance in and of themselves. Darkness cannot be measured. There's nothing there. It is the absence of something which is light. And so it's actually not the presence of something. It is the absence of something. Death is not something you can measure. It is just the absence of something which is life. And so when you end up spurning life, when you spurn light, what do you have? You have that which remains. It's a vacuum. So the prince of the vacuum, a.k.a. the prince of darkness, the ruler of death, the evil one, the accuser, the father of lies. In the, in the realm of darkness, he supplies counterfeit light where there is no light. You know, that's actually what Lucifer means. Bringer of light. That's actually what his name means. And so it's a counterfeit light. And so in a realm where there is no light, he shines. Uh, in other words, he is bringing a counterfeit version, a false version. In the realm of death, he supplies counterfeit life where there is no life. This is exactly what he has done in this earth. He says, hey, I've got something for you. You can really live. But it's a counterfeit version. It's not actually real life. In the realm of evil, he supplies counterfeit goodness where there is no good. In the realm of lies, he supplies counterfeit truth where there is no truth. So in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, the dark, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, any of you that have ever studied this, it opens up some interesting questions. Every time you study Genesis and just the beginnings of Genesis, all sorts of questions can start to spurt out of your mind because it's like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? All good questions. There's nothing wrong with the questions. Uh, and it's just that a lot of people start with incredulity. It's like, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't believe that. I start with faith. So sure, yeah, that, this is what happened. And yet, I can't answer all the questions, but they're good questions. And I've spent a lot of time in Genesis. And so, bless you, by the way. Uh, so we have some key words that are being unveiled in Genesis 1. Tohu, bohu, and koshek. So uh, tohu means without form, formless, confusion, emptiness, wasteland, a place of chaos. This is an interesting description because we're, we look at it as in the beginning and then there's nothing and then God created, but there is something. <laughs> there's something that's there already, and it's formless and void. It's 
Tohu wabohu is actually how you would say it in the Hebrew. But tohu means, basically, it's a place of chaos. And bohu is a void, a vacuity. This is where I get vacuum from, guys. It's an undistinguishable ruin. And then darkness is hovering over the surface of the deep. So darkness literally means darkness. Uh, Figuratively, it means misery, destruction, death, ignorance, sorrow, and wickedness, which has led a lot of people to say, seems like something's already happened here, okay? And so that's where you have this whole thing called the pre-Adamite world where the devil, and who is known as Lucifer, has his rebellion, and maybe they indwelled earth before that, and there's a flood that floods it all, which is why God says, I will never destroy the earth with a flood again. We're like, well, you've only done it once. Why would you say that? Okay, so this is where the, it's like conspiracy theorists of Christianity come out. And because there's, there are fascinating questions that come, it's like, well, okay, in the beginning, there's this formless void full of misery and chaos. What's that? And yet God is going to hover over it with his spirit. You see, this is called the creation, but did you know that in John 1, when we have a new creation, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we have the creator, Jesus, and we have the spirit of God hovering over us, a formless void, a place of chaos, darkness. And the spirit of God hovers over, and God, the word of God, recreates us in his shed blood. Whoa. And so we have a parallel, okay? The tohu wabohu. The tohu wabohu, isn't that a fun thing to say? Don't you want to say it? Even though you're in the audience, you're like, I'd still sort of like to say it and just try it out. Tohu wabohu. And what I'm going to define that as is the vacuum. It is the, the earth was form, a formless wasteland, a place of chaos and an indistinguishable ruin. Sorrow and misery was on the face of the deep, churning waters. So the mystery of the chaos, where did it come from? Why was it there? Now, if you're expecting me to answer this question, you're going to be sorely disappointed. We don't know. That's actually one of the healthiest ways you could answer that question because when you try and speculate, you sometimes get into trouble. Okay, and I'm not saying that speculation harms you. I'm just saying it can get you into trouble because you have to go outside the Bible sometimes to conclude. Now, there are things in the Bible that can help with this, but I'm not going to go on rabbit trails right now. We don't fully know. Maybe I should say it that way. We don't fully know. But we do know that there is a formless wasteland, a place of chaos and an indistinguishable ruin, sorrow and misery on the face of the deep churning water. The Spirit of God hovers over it with a mind to redeem it, regenerate it, and remake it. This is a parallel with the new creation. We don't know much about what went down before those seven days of creation. But we do know, notice how I'm emphasizing that, what went down during the next 77 generations prior to the new creation. So that's what we know. God says, here's what you need to know. I'm not going to tell you what happened before these seven days of creation. Because we're like, God, was there something? I mean, was there something before that? Because you have the devil and all of his, uh, you know, angelic hosts, the split where one-third of the angels go with Lucifer. Did that happen, like, after the creation? It happened before? We don't know. All we know is we have a formless void, okay? So those are things we may not know, but we do know what happens in those 77 generations from Adam. That's what God seems to focus on. He says, hey, hey, guys, take your mind off of that. Let's get it right here. This is what I want you to see. This is what matters to you. Knowing our enemy, an open letter to the king of Tyre. So in the scriptures, it's really interesting how God will exhibit and give us understanding into this realm of darkness 
but he never really spends a lot of time focusing on it. And that's where, if you hear me, if you were over at our house last night, I said one of my philosophies in dealing with the devil is I don't want to give him any more notoriety than he needs, okay? I'll, I need to know certain things, but I'm not going to just sit around and talk about him. That is not my agenda is to give him any more news clippings. And yet we still need to understand the framework in which we live. And so in scripture, there are these moments where God will give us understanding to this one. So there's this real character called the king of Tyre. And there's this open letter in scripture to the king of Tyre. But as you hear this, you're like, that's not the king of Tyre he's talking about. So it's like this symbolic character. And we begin to understand, wait a minute. He's not talking about the king of Tyre. He's talking about, yeah, he's talking about Satan here. So this is Ezekiel. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. I'm not sure if we're talking about the king of Tyre here. <laughs> Wait a minute, you were in Eden? What that? What? Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I establish you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire I, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples were astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Huh. Okay. You're like reading Ezekiel. Like, what? Ezekiel's a very fascinating book. And Ezekiel introduces these ideas of cherub uh, to begin with. It's very fascinating because in the very beginning, Ezekiel 1, you have this thing called the chariot of the cherubim, which is being carried by four cherubim. And so these cherubs are described in detail. In Ezekiel 1, they're called living creatures, but these, then it, later in the, in the book, it describes them as cherub. But these cherub have, these cherubim have four faces. They have the face of a man, the face of an, uh, a lion, the face of an ox, and the face of an eagle. They have four wings. They have hands of a man, but they have feet of a hind. And Lucifer is a cherub that covered. He was an anointed cherub that covered. I mean, this is like extremely fascinating information, right? Then we have another open letter. It's interesting, which is going to also give us indication of who this one is that is our arch rival, our arch nemesis. And this is, was the king of the Assyrians back in uh, the ancient days. And his name, Sennacherib, which ironically in our session today, if you're going to be, if you're part of our training, you will actually hear, I'll teach you on Sennacherib today. So this is fascinating. This will tie in later too. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. That's a strange thing to say to a king uh, that's an earthly king. He's not talking to just Sennacherib here. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. 
Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? So the Lord of the vacuum, what do we know about him? Well, here's a key list, and this is important for you to recognize. Your adversary, the devil, is not God. Okay? He is not God. That's important because he'll tell you he is. He'll tell you he's an equal with God. So not only is he not God, but he is not an equal and offsetting power to God. He's not like the arch rival that matches God's strength. You know, like in a lot of great action movies or superhero movies, you have this like equal and opposite power, which makes it tense and dangerous. It's like you don't know who's going to win. In this one, there's no competition. We know who's going to win. You see, he's not an equal and opposite power to God. He is a created being. He is a fallen angel. He is one singular personality. He's not a multi-personality faction or a league of personalities. He's one. He is a four-faced, four-winged, I'm going to call him a Navy SEAL on steroids. This guy is powerful. Okay, I, I know we can be impressed with a Navy SEAL, but this guy is something special. Okay, he is a cherub. And the cherub is like high ranking in the angelic realm. And so, if I could give a very quick description, brilliant, far more brilliant than us, powerful, far more powerful than us. When they move, uh, they move like lightning. The sound of their wings when they flutter, if you want to say it that way, flap, sounds like the sounds of Niagara Falls. These are power creatures. They could rule nations. They could rule worlds. And so what we have is a cherub that has gone rogue. Okay, we got a problem here on earth. We got a rogue cherub. He desired and still desires to exalt himself above God. He is a deceiver and is himself deceived. That's important. That latter part of that statement is important. A deceiver, when you live in lies, you know that you actually begin to believe your lies? It's possible that Satan actually believes he will win in the end. Because you, you have to wonder, why is he trying so hard? <laughs> Doesn't he read the prophecy? Doesn't he know God's going to win? A deceiver deceives themselves. When you live in lies, you don't know what's truth anymore. And so the deceiver is a deceiver, and he has deceived himself. He is the father of lies, the headwaters of all falsehood. He is the ruling power, the prince of the realm of darkness. He is pitted against God and against all that side with God. He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He is an accuser of believers. He will be brought down to hell into the sides of the pit. His head will be crushed by the woman's seed. Now look at this final thing. And for dramatic effect, let's hold the remaining facts for later. Isn't that fun? I'm actually holding back certain things because they're really good, guys. Things that we know in Scripture about this character. I'm not saying they're good for his sake. They're good for our sake. So the principle of the trash can. Uh, I mentioned this in our training this week, but uh, someone was asking me about uh, Satan and how he fits into this whole thing. I don't remember how exactly the question came out, but this is a a really fascinating description. In a house, uh, there is a certain order to the house, and so the Ludi house has a certain order, a certain smell we desire, a certain, there's certain things that you don't do uh, and certain things that you should do. 
And when that is violated, well, then there's correction to it. And so, for instance, as the illustration I gave earlier this week, a banana peel does not belong on the floor of the living room. That would be inappropriate. And so a banana peel, if it is defined as trash, has a specific receptacle, a specific sector of the home that it is put in. And that sector, known as the trash can, is different than the rest of the house. It is, has a different nature. And everyone that comes into my house knows that. When they see my house, they don't judge me by my trash can. In fact, they know that if I don't have a trash can, I have problems. A trash can is other than me. It is other than my house. This trash is not like me. Therefore, I am sticking it in here. So what we have with God is in his creation, he has trash. He has something that is other than his nature. And so therefore, he creates a receptacle in his life or in his creation known as darkness, and he sticks that which is opposite his nature in it. And so that's what I'm referring to as the trash can. That's the vacuum. The trash can is under the overall governance of the home and is created on purpose to house that which is opposite the nature of the house. It is a separate place where that which is other than the house can go so that its stinky otherness does not mar the beauty, the purity, the fragrance, and the character of the rest of the house. When Lucifer rebelled, how did a holy God respond? I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. You know, people have stumbled over that. It's like, what? God creates darkness? Actually, the word in the Hebrew is very, very important here. Bara is what it means for create, which means to cut, to carve out, to fashion a thing, to give rise to, to separate out a thing through cutting. It's like, okay, what are we going to do with this darkness? I need to separate it from me. He didn't create darkness in the sense that you think. You know, like it derived from him. What he's saying is, I have darkness here. I am going to cut out an element of my creation and stick it in there. He is cutting a separating out a thing through cutting. So I always call it the scissor cut kingdom of darkness. I form the light, and here's, here's my amplified version of this. I form the light and separate out a place for that which is void of light called darkness. I make peace and separate out a place, a place for that which is void of peace called evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. God crea has created a separate space for that which has rejected his life, his light, his truth, and his goodness. Sheol, hell, the residence of death, darkness, and evil. This awful, dark, and evil residence of death seems to be an actual place deep in the earth. That's where it seems to be located. The scissor-cut kingdom, or the jurisdiction of darkness. Jurisdiction is a good governmental term, juris. Uh, and diction, juris meaning ruling, diction meaning space, so it's like the ruling territory over which you have say, diction, you have say over it. And so Satan actually has a jurisdiction, it's the trash can. He controls the trash can. And so if you're in the trash can, guess what? You're under his ruling territory. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God created the dominion of darkness in order to separate that which is dark from that which is light. He separated that which is righteous from that which is unrighteous. He gave parameters, measurements, jurisdiction to the realm of darkness. But he didn't sin. He didn't author sin. He never violated his moral law in setting forth the dominion. 
Moreover, he actually preserved his perfection, his holiness, and his righteousness in dividing out this realm and making it separate. Therefore, in creating darkness, or the realm of darkness, or the realm of darkness, he reinforced his altogether otherness from it. Though God is over the vacuum, which is a fascinating statement, still in his house, just like my trash can is still under my jurisdiction. It's like, yeah, it, it belongs to me. I don't really want to, you come over to my house, is that your trash can? It's like, yeah, uh, and so you're responsible for all that trash. Well, I'm over all that trash, but that trash is other than my nature. That's why I'm sticking it there. You see, if I was strewing that trash all over my house and my house smelled like it, then you'd have to wonder if that trash and me are the same, right? But I'm saying to all of you, this is different than me. I'm sticking it over here. So though God is over the vacuum, that which is in the vacuum is opposite his nature. It's a very, very significant thing in the outplay of your understanding of theology right there. Because a lot of people miss this and they blame sin on God. And they're, they're saying, well, God created all things. God is responsible for all, for all things. He's sovereign, so therefore he created Satan. And he, he's like holding the, uh, the electric, what do you call that? The, you know, as if Satan is a big robot and he has the controlling device. Like, dee, dee, dee. And so Satan comes in and knocks over the city. And God's like, ha, 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 controlling him. But, oh, it's like, it's Satan that's doing it. And God's back over here going, I'm holy. I'm not like that. But he's the one controlling it. It's like, well, then if you're controlling it, you're the mastermind behind it. And so a lot of people say, well, God is ultimately responsible for this. God is other than sin. In him is no sin. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Fact. And so as a result, to make God culpable for the work of Satan is one of the most dangerous things your soul could ever flirt with. Jesus is the full reflection of the Father, and guess what we see in him? There is no guile in his mouth. There is no sin in him. He is pure and spotless. He is humble and righteous. He is the reflection of God Almighty. Don't mix. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and that more abundant. There is a distinction between two kingdoms. There's a first and there's a second. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. I am not like darkness, says God. I am not like death, says God. You see, God is other than, which is where the word holy comes from. That's what holy means. God is holy, holy, holy. He is not like that. He is not like that. He is not like that trash can. So Job, listen to this. Far be it from God that he should do wickedness. What a statement. And from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Yea, surely God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment Touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. Men do therefore fear him. He respects not that any that are wise of heart. A quick lesson on authority and power. So we have two words in Scripture uh, that translate in the New Testament for power. And so, you know, Jesus came and he worked mighty miracles and he was, he had power, right? But there's two different words in the Greek for power. This first one, dunamis. This would be like what we would typically think of for power, muscular power, the power of an army. So the power of strength, an army's power, the strength of force and ability. This is a very real power and Jesus has it. But we also have this one and this is a very crucial one when it comes to understanding the devil. Exousia. It's a legal power, a legal territory, a jurisdiction of control, a rightful claim, a legally backed position of authority, lawful claim or allowance, a liberty to do as one pleases, a chief monarchical position of authority to dictate and decide. 
So listen, this is, gonna, this is a scripture that shows both of these at the same time. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, what a word this is, speaking of Jesus. For with exousia, authority, and dunamis, power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Jesus came in power. But it wasn't just dunamis, muscular power. It was legal authority. And he had authority over devils, and they must obey. This is going to become very, very important for you when you recognize what it means to believe in Jesus, to enter into Jesus' authority. The devil has, whoa, power too? What? I don't like the sound of that. But it's, <clears throat> it's only over the trash can. That's important for you guys to know. It's only over the trash can. For instance, Satan has power over the territory of death. Him that had power, exousia, that's legal authority, of death, that is the devil. And that wouldn't matter much if life reigned on this earth, but as it is written, the soul that sins, it shall die. The soul that sins, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Uh-oh. And if Satan has authority over death, and all have sinned, and therefore all have died, what does that mean? You actually see that we've all entered the trash can. You see, the authority of the prince of the trash can, the prince of the vacuum, is coming over us. We're actually under his authority legally, which is why the gospel is a legal issue. You have God who cannot sin, who needs to somehow rescue us from our legal bound position in sin. How's he going to do it? Because everything is just in God's kingdom. He cannot violate his own law in order to rescue us. Isn't that an amazing thought? He has to do it perfectly. He has to do it without sin, but he loves us. So he's going after us. How's he going to do it, guys? That's one of the most extraordinary things about studying the gospel is God never violates his own law in rescuing us. And yet the devil has legal hold over us. He's like, I'm not giving him up. And yet, God wins. So, you are of your father, the devil, says Jesus, remember to the Pharisees, and the desires of your father you want to do. Because he that commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. And due to sin, Satan gained power over the kingdoms of the earth. So listen, remember when uh, Jesus is in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and he's tempted and the, Satan comes to him? It's sort of a strange scene, right? But hey, this happened. And this happens in the midst of it. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him, Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power, all this legal authority, this exousia, will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. Jesus never corrects that statement. Isn't that a fascinating statement? In other words, he's basically saying, all has come into my trash can. All is under my rulership. It is all sinned. It has fallen. It is mine now. I'll give it to you, Jesus. It's under my authority. It's given to me now. I can give it to whomever I want. I'll give it to you. You just need to bow down and worship me. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Key moment in history. I'm glad Jesus went the way he did. Also Satan, and Satan also gained power over the spiritual climate of this earth. In Ephesians. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, 
according to the prince of the power, the legal authority, of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So in Acts, we see a, a description of this as well. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power, the legal authority, of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So the place of battle, where is this all coming to a head? Jesus is going to legally disarm the powers of hell. He is going to legally create a way and a means for us to be rescued out from under the devil's control. He is going to satisfy perfect justice. He is going to correct something that is wrong. Our fault, it's our sin, but he's going to bear the curse of it. He is going to absorb the wrath of it because a just God must have justice satisfied. And he is going to create a way for us to escape out of that trash can, out of the control of that enemy, and be set free to come unto the Father. This is an amazing work, and it's the cross. This is where it's all taking place. It's the place of battle. Thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. That's in the book of Isaiah. It is like an enunciation of everything I just said. You have the terrible one who has you in his grip. I'm going to read it again. I want you to just imagine you're in the trash can. This is the prophecy of the coming Messiah. God is making it very clear. I'm coming and I'm getting them. Thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you and I will save your children. I like that. That is good stuff. Yeah! What else do we know about the Lord of the vacuum? Well, let's finish our list from above. Remember when I baited you with that list and I didn't completely finish it? And you guys are like, oh, no, don't do that. I'm going to finish it now. Aren't you guys excited? Edge of the seat. Move to the edge. I mean, this is good stuff. So, listen. What else do we know about the Lord of the vacuum? He is destroyed. Jesus tasted death for everyone that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. His works are destroyed. Jesus was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. His work is abolished. Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. He is judged. Jesus judged the ruler of this world at the cross. He is cast out. Jesus cast out the ruler of this world at the cross. He has no grounds in Christ for lawful condemnation. This is huge, guys to recognize that there is no lawful condemnation over your life that he can bring when you are in Christ. None. He has no grounds anymore. He has no legal backing for it. The ruler of this world has or had has nothing in Jesus. Remember Jesus? He goes, he has nothing on me. He can find nothing in me. Guess where you find your refuge? In him. And so as a result, the devil has nothing on you because you are in Jesus, the one he has nothing on. This is good news, by the way, guys, because this is how the devil plays the game. He doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to think that you're still enslaved. Imagine that you were a slave and you were set free, but no one ever told you you were. So if you go to back one of those old uh, you know, southern plantations with a rude, mean, 
uh, slaveholder, you know, a landowner. And, you know, he cuts, they were extreme. Some of them were so mean to their slaves because they wanted to threaten them never to leave, never to run. And so they had their, their dogs, their bloodhounds. Uh, they had everything in place. If there was ever a slave that ran, they would punish him to the highest degree. So they'd cut off ears, snip off fingers. They would do anything to have a public demonstration. You run, this is what you get. I always find my slaves. And so if you've been, a, been held as a slave uh, your entire life, and that's all you've known is fear, and no one tells you that you're set free, how are you going to continue to live? In fear? You never heard Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation? You were never told that you were set free? You see, you never received the manumission papers. You don't recognize that he has no legal hold over you, but he's playing upon your ignorance. He's playing upon the fact that you don't know that you're free. You see, his works are destroyed. He has no legal hold over you. You're now submitting to him just out of ignorance. So imagine you're like hoeing a field one day, and there's a fence up there, and someone, one of your buddies from way back looks through and sees you and goes, hey, what are you doing in there? I'm hoeing. I'm not supposed to talk to you. Get away. Do, do, did, what are you still working for him for? Be quiet. Don't talk to me. I don't want to lose my ear. You're set free, bucko. Didn't anyone tell you Lincoln... Signed it into law. There's an emancipation of all slaves. Walk away. He'll kill me if I walk away. He's mean. You have authority now to walk away. It is a done deal. Now the question is, do you believe the guy poking his head through the fence? <laughs> what, what, I, mean, I don't want to follow this guy if I don't trust him. That's the way the word, it's the word of God that is telling us this. Ben? Uh, so ben, Ben's letting us know that it's the 13th Amendment. So, hey, bucko, the 13th Amendment. So the, the devil has no legal right to keep you. We have something more powerful than the 13th Amendment over our life. He is disarmed, made a spectacle of, and triumphed over Jesus disarmed principalities and powers at the cross. By the way, guys, this is great news for you. It's not just good history. And made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So yes, Satan has power over the trash can. I'll acknowledge that. But what if someone is no longer in the trash can? I want you to ponder that. Yes, he has power over the trash can, but what if someone is no longer in the trash can? Verily, verily, amen, amen, I say unto you, he that hears my word and believes on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You are removed from trash can into the home. You have gone from darkness into light. Who has delivered us from the power, the exousia of darkness, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. This is actually what the gospel does. It removes us from the authority of the devil, his territory, into God's territory. Now who's over us? God is. And by the way, he cares for that which is in his territory. He protects it. He's a good father over his home. So he's a shepherd over his sheep. The wolf comes, clobbers him on the head. You need to recognize you have been transferred out of the trash can. 
You are no longer under the authority of the devil. You are under God's control. The Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority, this is Jesus speaking to his apostles, right? Now, listen, this is pretty amazing. All authority means all exousia, all legal power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. It's like, guys, you're in me, right? You understand what you have. When you believe on me, I have all authority. And who are you in? You're in the one with all authority. Now go, take this world. The devil can't stop you. When you catch that as a Christian, it's like, he can't stop me. Oh, he's going to do his best to try. But you, if you walk in the truth, believing in faith, there's nothing that the devil has on you. You actually have the upper hand. That's why it says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. The devil's gates, I mean, it's funny because we're all concerned about the devil taking the church. We're supposed to go the opposite direction, take the captives of hell out of the trash can. It's like the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. We're going after his gates. And like Samson, we're going to rip them off their hinges and carry them away. We have authority, Christians. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So if the devil is defeated, shouldn't the war be over? This is like the the movie fades into black and then we go on to the rest of our conference that we did. But the point is, a lot of us are thinking, shouldn't this be done then? Jesus destroyed it. He has nullified his power. He has dealt with perfect justice. It is accomplished in the spiritual realm. It is your job now to believe it and to take that authority and to apply it to this earth. That for Why God would choose to do that and not just do it himself, but he wants us to participate in this. There's some grand wisdom that is involved in this, that he has chosen the church, us, to reveal his manifold wisdom unto the heavenly realms. That, that's, his, that's his desire. This is his yearning, is that we would be brought into this. Because for some reason, this is what matures us. This is what grows us up. This is what tests us and trains us. We still have a devil who hates us, and he is opposed to us. He is an adversary, and he uses the same techniques that he's used for 6,000 years, and yet you are not unwise to the enemy's behavior. You have the word of God, which trains you and equips you to know precisely what you have in Christ and how to wield it. We just need to grow up in it. We need to become strong in it. A little child has the DNA to grow up into a full, mature adult, just like we do. In Christ Jesus, we have the DNA to grow up unto a full maturity, but you still have to grow up. There's still a process. God doesn't fast forward our development as children into adults. We have to live out every minute as if it's a minute, every week as if it's a week, every month as if it's a month, every year as if it's a year. And so as a result, we grow up in stride with God's way. His pattern, same spiritually. We can't skip steps. We need to grow up unto a full maturity, but we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We have been given weapons of warfare that are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen to this. Be strong in the Lord and in the power 
of his might. I just gave you the secret to Christianity right there. It's Ephesians 6. Be strong in the Lord. What's your position? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Yeah, that's good stuff. Father, I pray that you would cultivate this reality in us, that we would understand it, that we would know it, that we would live it. Lord, we trust you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.